Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, Sat, managing editor of Fightful.com here. It is December 16th, UFC on Fox, Winnipeg post-show. In case you guys missed it and you're wrestling fans, I did a Ring of Honor final battle post-show last night with a WWE Clash of Champions post-show tomorrow night. All kinds of updates, news over at Fightful.com. Go check it out, my friends. Forums, all that stuff. But uh, we've got Showdown Joe here with us on Very Little Sleep. Joe, you hit up the uh, – or didn't hit up, you – called the titan fc show last night yeah uh so what not even uh 24 hours ago uh i was in florida south florida calling titan fc 47 fantastic show uh interesting main event can't believe um the result we were expecting something mm-hmm. different per se but it is mixed martial arts and um luis is fantastic uh sadiq yusuf we're expecting more from him he's a fantastic fighter uh, lloyd Irwin told me he was easily in the top 10 percentile of strikers in mixed martial arts but he got dropped with a shoulder throw. Now, though, you know shoulder throw, Sean. You throw someone over your shoulder. Technically, they're supposed to land on their back, not on their skull uh, or their face. And when they land on their face, uh, the boat comes to an end pretty quick. So, uh, fantastic show. Uh, it was over around 1 a.m. I got back to the hotel, quick shower. I had already packed. Uh, got to the got to the airport by 4:30 a.m. Flew out at 6 a.m. Caught a connector. Landed in Toronto around 12:30. Drove right to it to record a hockey game, turned around, came home, got home at 7 p.m., quick nap, tried to watch as many of these UFC fights as I could. Uh, lo and behold, here I am with you right now. So, yeah, a little tired. Damn! That's really all I can say about that. Um, and, of course, you're heading out to do Ryzen uh, in, what, two weeks now? In two weeks, you and former Fightful.com podcaster Frank Trigg calling that show. We we announced that on, on Holy Smokes MMA, which you all can check out. Every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Lots of stuff going on. By the way, guys, I want to tell you all, go uh, follow us on Instagram. We have gotten very, very active over there on Instagram. It is Instagram.com slash Fightful Online. If if you're using a web browser, if you're using your phone, just look us up. Fightful Online. We're going to keep that active. We're, We're really embracing that. 
We got UFC on Fox 26 to talk about. We have a little bit of Conor McGregor news to talk about. Now, Joe, I don't really want to talk about this fight per se, but Galore Bufando had some UFC one-level mount defense on this show. Chad Laprise got got cracked early, and he managed to come back and win via TKO. Uh, great performance by him to to come back that way, but he mounted Bufando and. Bufando's feet were straight up in the air, not on the ground, not like, you know, putting him up next to his ass so he can buck, not hipping and rolling, anything like that. I just go, guys, if you all didn't see that fight, go back and watch that and you'll learn exactly what not to do in Mount. Jordan Mean got a win, a dominant win over Eric Silva. Uh, that's that's good to see because I really thought that Jordan Mean would be on his way out if he didn't win, considering that he retired last year, but at 28, that old veteran's not ready to hang him up yet. Well, I'm happy for Jordan. Definitely happy. No, no, you know, a bit of Canadian bias there, but that was a fight that, you know, you and I had spoken about that were surprised it was on the fight pass card. You look at those two names and three or four years ago, we thought those two guys would be contending for a title with Rory McDonald. And, you know, my how things have changed with those three names nowhere near UFC title contention today. Uh, obviously, Robbie, uh, Rory, excuse me, was there, uh, but he's no longer with the UFC. Uh, in terms of, of, you know, the Fondos, Mountain defense. I, I when I see certain things in mixed martial arts that are you know what I would deem as basic incorrect. Uh, even yesterday, somebody was hanging on to a guillotine far too long when their opponent was in. Uh, this is a Titan, by the way. When when their opponent was in side control, oh, I think of you. I think of you all the time, and it's not because it's not more a, of a comedic thought to think of you, but it's because you and I talk about it so much, yeah. and you always wonder, like, how did some people get to a certain level of mixed martial arts when there's certain basics that you learn? You know, I come from a jiu-jitsu background. Uh, you come from a catch wrestling background. That's something you learn in your first week or two of classes, yeah. how to defend the mount, what not to do, what to do to protect yourself at all times or how to at least reverse a position or get yourself in a situation where. So imagine if at the end of 2011, and I say the end of 2011, Jordan Meehan fresh off of a win over uh, Cyborg Santos, not uh, Cyborg Justino, about, uh, getting ready to fight a Tyron Woodley at that time. You had Eric Silva, highly touted UFC prospect, just beat Luis Ramos, about to fight Carlo Prater. What if, what if back then I told you that that guy, Rafael Dos Anjos, who just got beat by Guida and Glayson Tebow, would be closer to would get closer to a welterweight title than either one of those guys? It's it's crazy the way that MMA works and just the leaps and bounds of, of improvement that can be made. It's kind of it's crazy because that that, that Clay Guida knockout of Dos Anjos happened like twelve o'clock right in front of us. Like the the media that was there, that knockout, that brutal knockout, or the brutal the way it just got, he got destroyed, happened right in front of us. So, and that that kind of goes through my head every time you have to compete. And I'm so happy for the guy to be where he's at right now. I mean, he just went five rounds with Robbie Lawler, and all three scorecards said 50-45. So, good on him. There's a few finishes uh, worth going out of your way to see, guys. Alessio De Chirico, uh Knee struck uh, Bamboche and knocked him out. Julian Marquez and Darren Stewart. What an incredible fight that was. Like, that was just really, really awesome. Julian Marquez, I kind of made fun of him because he he went beyond the, the, the cliche 
he's never fought anybody like me. Instead, nobody's ever seen anyone like me. I'm like, nobody? <laughs> nobody's ever seen anyone like you? Well, he performed very well. He had a lot of heart. What we haven't seen before, Joe, and you know, I probably should probably be talking, be talking about the fight, but really, what can I say? It was an awesome slugfest. Uh, we got to see a lot of tools out of Marquez. That was really cool. He choked Darren Stewart clean out. But afterwards, he challenged Tyron Woodley to a beard off. <laughs> Love it. But, and, and, and they played it up on Fox, which I thought was brilliant. They have to. But here's the situation, Joe. Tyron Woodley's about to have surgery next week. Who is going to be the interim UFC beard champion? It's got to be Julian. It's got to be Julian. He's got to work his way right back there. I mean, Roy Nelson's gone. So, damn. Yeah, was- Chad Laprise. Chad Laprise got that aforementioned uh, TKO win over just an inept Buffondo on the ground. Nordine <laughs> Taleb knocked Danny Roberts out something crazy. And I've never seen somebody throw a fit in the cage quite like Danny Roberts. And it was just, you know, you can't hold that against him. Like, he almost, like, made contact with the referee. But in that situation, Joe, he's been knocked out, like, straight cold. Like, you can't hold that against him, can you? Technically, no. I mean, yeah. when, I, when I saw your tweet, I thought to myself, what, what just happened here? What's going on? I thought to myself, 59-second knockout and a fighter throwing a fit. I kind of figured that this guy got into a situation where he had no idea what was going on. And how many times have we seen or heard stories of fighters not even knowing what happened and they're showing themselves or they're, they're like, look at the screen, look at the screen, and they show the replay and the person tells you afterwards, it was like a movie. That I don't. How did that happen? Oh, that at happen? that point, Danny Roberts thought he was in the movie Heat with like doing a heist or something. Like he was, he was nowhere near the cage at that point. He thought that he had a job to do, but Talib had already completed the mission, so to speak. That was that is a knockout worth seeing. Uh, Blahovitz versus Cannoneer, not worth seeing. If it was a disappointing, frustrating performance out of Cannoneer, who claims that he is going to try a test cut to one eighty five. Blahovitz fought a smart fight, the kind he had to fight to remain in that top 15, but nothing really stood out here. Uh, Glover Teixeira stood out on the main card, knocking out Misha Serkinov. Misha Serkinov, we said it before, Joe, he could be in the spot Ozdemir is in right now, but he's not. And yep. now he's falling, falling, falling. And Glover Teixeira, I didn't think he was going to get it done, especially in the opening minute of this. I didn't think he was going to get it done. But he did, and he's still hanging around in that division near the top. Well, I, you know, we, did, we talked about it on Tuesday on the Holy Smokes podcast, and I mentioned it also in my article, the, the, the fork in the road type of fight. You know, at light heavyweight, what does this mean? It seems like Glover Teixeira is going to be that guy that's going to prevent any of these up-and-comers, per se, from getting a crack at those top three or four guys. Um, and Misha Serkinov is that young guy trying to get up there, and he's got to get past a guy like Glover Teixeira because of that loss originally to Vulcan Uzdemir, and now Misha Serkinov finds himself almost on the outside looking in, although he's still technically young. He still has that opportunity, but you know, what does this really mean for Misha Serkinov? Well, it means he's going to have to fight a bunch more times to get anywhere near uh, uh, his name mentioned in the title mix. And Glover Teixeira just seems to say, well, I'm, I'm, I got one foot in, one foot out. Like, how do I get my second foot back in there? You got so many guys in this division. Like, there aren't a lot of them that are going to peel off a three-fight winning streak. It's almost like the old UFC heavyweight division, Joe, where if you peel off three in a row, 
you, you might get a title shot. Like that's why we always talk about Shogun Hua contending for a title. Ovin St. Prue is number five in this division. And like, I mean, the guy is incredibly inconsistent. He is very raw. He's got three wins in a row, but I mean, he also had three losses in a row right before it. And he's still, he, he lost four out of five fights with the only win being Feijao Cavalcante at the end of his career. Like that's, that's who's number five right now in the division. So you never know who can make an impression in this division. And Right now, I, I would normally think, man, Glover Teixeira shouldn't be near a title shot, but why not? After after Ozdemir, if, now if Ozdemir beats Cormier, they could run that right back because I don't think anybody's going to argue that Cormier is probably the most worthy of a title shot there. But outside of Teixeira, I would say uh, legitimately, this is outside of me just being goofy, Shogun's up there. Like Shogun's in the discussion with three straight wins, but – I don't know who, how healthy he is right now. So uh, that, that's something you got to look at. But Glover Teixeira is still getting it done, man, at 30, 38 years old. 38 years old. Now I'll ask you this, Joe. Do you think that we're going to start seeing this in the light heavyweight division, kind of like we have in the heavyweight division, where you've got 38-year-old champion Daniel Cormier. You've got 38-year-old uh, number three Glover Teixeira. You've got Ovin St. Prue, who uh, I think he's in his 30s as well. Like, he's 34. That's not something that we used to see a lot of. Uh, Shogun Hua, as I mentioned, late 30s. Number six, Jimmy Manoa. I mean, you know, Nogueira is still in that top 15. This could be, like, that's something that we don't necessarily think a lot of, but 30 isn't like a death knell for... 205 pounds. No. So the analysis that I could probably love to make on that was to, would be to graph that per division, right? So you, you kind of wondered yourself, I mean, I remember when Randy Couture, uh, you lost that title to Brock Lesnar, his run basically came to an end. Now, Randy Couture was a special guy back in the day uh, competing. Obviously, he started very late in mixed martial arts. And we start to think, yourself, okay, gone, gone are the days of a champion that's going to be in his late 30s. It's just no longer going to happen. But when you take a look at some of these divisions, the higher divisions, higher weight classes, the guys can actually fight a little bit older than the guys in the younger divisions where speed is paramount. Um, well, speed's paramount in every division, don't get me wrong, but power is more prevalent in those bigger divisions because they're throwing much more mass. So you take a look at, at guys like Daniel Cormier, you take a look at some of the champions, and you think to yourself, hmm, if you're a bigger guy, you could compete a little bit later in your career. It's when you're a smaller guy or girl um, that it's going to be far more challenging because speed comes with youth. Youth yeah. is what brings you a much faster fighter. Um, as you age, your power will stay. Your speed sort of dissipates. So, um, you know, and, and Robbie Lawler was an example tonight. So it, it kind of makes it, you know, Reed Kuhn would be a great guy, the author of Fightnomics, uh, to take a look at something like this. But I see your point there. And it's a division where, you know, the, the top guys are, you know, mid to late 30s. So I it get makes what you're saying. Me wonder, it makes me wonder, Joe, why hasn't an Anderson Silva, Leoto Machida, Vitor Belfort, even a Michael Bisping. Usada, Usada, go on. I, I know, but I mean, no, I mean, giving it a go at 205. Oh, gotcha. Usada, 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 go on. At 205? Like, I mean, they're later in their career. You mean to tell me Anderson Silva off Usada isn't better than uh, Eler Latifi and Patrick Cummins? Because I don't buy it. I think one shot to the face from Anderson Silva to Patrick Cummins 
has him riding a one person, like one of those big giant bicycles backwards in the cage. Now, if, if Patrick Cummins puts Anderson Silva on his back, yeah, it could be a different story, but Vitor Belfort's hand speed as a middleweight in his late thirties, early forties is still good. That at light heavyweight, when he gets, if he gets matched up against, Against a Jared Cannonier, you mean tell me that he, he can't get it done? I, I believe that he could. Machida, you never know until he steps in the cage. And he got booked against Eric Anders in UFC Balaam, which, hey, all respect to Eric Anders. That's a shitty main event. That is a stinker of a main event. I know it's Machida's hometown, but, oh, man. That and and booking Jeremy Stevens versus Duho Choi in the main event of UFC St. Louis – that is just like why? Why are we watching you? Why like catch catch the highlights on Fox, buddy? That's that's what that says to me. Too many events. Too but, many events. Yeah. Oh yeah. From January to March, I think after the first weekend of January up until almost the week before WrestleMania weekend, there are events every single weekend. Yeah, it's crazy. Now some of those some of those are on Sundays, I believe. Yeah, I noticed. But and I'm I'm cool with that. I mean, some of them. If they happen on WWE weekends, I won't be able to to do live. But like I, as I look, like the four, the show on the fourteenth, the 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 Stevens Toy Show that's a Sunday, and Austin in February is a Sunday. Little little unusual, little odd. But anyway, anyway, I digress. <laughs> Santiago Ponzinibbio defeated Mike Perry via unanimous decision. This was a good fight, fun fight. Mike Perry just doesn't have the top 10 talent in this division, in my opinion, where he, he's got the top 10 heart. He sure does. But it's so so often he abandons any sense of, of technical skill. Like He just didn't have it for Ponzinibbio. And I think Ponzinibbio's strategy, Joe, was to – look exactly like Mike Perry and confuse Mike Perry because they were practically twins in the cage. Yeah, this is the fight that I, I, re- I really want to see. Unfortunately, I didn't have a chance uh, to catch. I was I was reading some of the information that you were posting. I was looking at some of the other uh, results online. Um, I'm going to have to look at this one here and dissect it because I was hoping, and, and in some of the breakdowns I did for the site, I was thinking to myself, Santiago shouldn't be fighting like Mike Perry other than confusing him and then eventually taking Perry out of his element, taking him down on the ground and punishing him. Um, Not not only did he fight like Perry, he looked exactly like Perry. (laughs) Their hair was the same. Their tattoos were very similar. Like (laughs) it was, it was remarkable. They looked just alike. There was a great spinning back elbow that or spinning back fist or back elbow that cracked Perry, knocked him down. Perry is like, what if I told you? Hey, UFC found a white trash cowboy Cerrone. You'd say, wait a second, Sean. <laughs> Isn't Donald Cerrone white trash? No. No, they, they got one even more. And he still works. He gets heat. He gets heat for people. You know, we're not going to get the Till-Mike Perry fight, but if Till ever loses a fight, that one's right there for him. You can yeah. go to it. But well, Hans and Hibio, Hey, we're trying to say, we're saying this. That's what I wrote in the article. I was like... Ponzinibbio has the opportunity right now to jump into that that sort of just before title shot contender mix with the Darren Tills and the Covingtons uh, and the Kamara Usman, who, by the way, is one bigger human being uh, with with a lot of people in the UFC uh, in the top ten. Sorry, yeah. Go ahead. 
Kamaru's bubbling right under there. I feel like he's, you know, he's got his Kamaru. We'll, we'll go ahead and talk about Kamaru. He's had his fight moved like seven times. He's pissed. He's fighting in St. Louis. What did you hear about that? No, he's fight. So he's fighting in St. Louis, but at the Titan FC or weigh-ins, uh, that's the day. That's when we get to talk to all the fighters. And Kamaru and I were sitting together the whole time. And as soon as he, he said hi to me, what's going on? What's going on? Sean, he jumped right into the whole. Am I the only effing guy that this happens to in the UFC? Check out this story. And he starts rhyming off a bunch of things that were happening between him, Emil, him, UFC matchmaking team, him, his own management, management in the UFC. And he's looking at me and he's showing me a bunch of information on his phone. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. If I was a fighter going through that type of stress, having my fight moved over and over and over again, of course, now I'm looking at, Camaro as a human being and looking at the dimensions in his jaw just to see where his weight's at, right? And the guy looks fantastic. I mean, the guy just is just completely ripped no matter what. But I was just kind of like, that's not fair, man. It's just not cool. And, you know, I try, I try and take the bias away from it from obviously he's my broadcast partner and, and, you know, we, we do, you know, shoot the breeze every so often, but it's like, it's just not fair. But he's just, he's always calling a meal. I mean, if, if you look at the opening of the broadcast, when I asked him flat out, uh, during Titan, um, I always I always introduce him, and we get a a very a very quick update of where he is with his career. And he's just like, "Look, man, the UFC finally found some guy that's that's shooting off his mouth, talking shit, and thinks he can solve the Kamara puzzle." We'll find out in St. Louis, and then boom, he started going off, and then we went into the show. But I just feel bad for the guy. And again, we talked about Covington uh, not taking the fight. We talked about. Um, who was the other one? Covington didn't want to take it. Obviously, RDA had to do what he had to do with Lawler. Um, Masvidal not taking the fight. Um, he got offered a main event for a show, Kamaro did, and that person backed out. Uh, so you say who? Uh, it, I'll, I, I was under the assumption, based on the conversation we were happy, having, uh, that it was potentially Colby. And mm-hmm. I was like, Colby Covington was kind of, in my head, I'm like, Colby Covington backed out of a main event fight? And then it was against you? And you think to myself, and then people, when they saw the picture of Kamaru and I online, they're like, Shodan Joe is the only guy not ducking uh, Kamaru Usman. And I'm like, you guys have no idea how true that is, right? Because I'm just like, I feel so bad for the guy. But that's the, that's the respect that he has. There's other media members out there uh, on other sites that are doing specific posts and podcasts of Kamaru describing why, why people are ducking this guy. Like, nobody wants to fight him. And, you know, I, at some point, I give Emil me credit. Yeah, Valhalla doesn't care. Like that that's a good thing, but did did they say did he say why the fight got moved a second time? Like I know it got moved because of the visa issues, but then why did it get moved to St. Louis? I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't know either. He's just like this doesn't make this makes no sense. He just wants to fight. Clearly a paycheck before Christmas would have been absolutely fantastic, Sean. Sure. I'm sure. Right? So, I mean, that, that there's part of it there from a personal human being perspective. Imagine getting a nice paycheck right before the holidays. You can buy gifts for your daughter, right? Like, he loves his daughter very much and his girl and stuff like that. But, you know, it's got money. But wouldn't it be nice to have more money before the holidays? So, and just yeah. fight, man. A lot, of, a lot of aggression in a human being when you're training and, and you know, you're, you're putting in the work. You want your opponent to pay for that work. So, so what we're going to talk about this welterweight division extensively in a bit, but... Ponzinibbio, like there, there are four or five names right now that I think are up there. Masvidal isn't in the discussion, in my opinion. Like he, he's just not in that talk. He was lucky to even get offered a fight with Kamaru, let alone to turn it down. But you've got a few guys there. You've got Teal. You've got RDA. You've got Ponzinibbio. 
Usman, and Covington. Those are the five, like, really primed. And then Stephen Thompson's there, but at this point, like, he's kind of out of chances right now. Uh, we'll get to that momentarily. Ponzinibbio had, had a good performance with being dragged into the kind of fight that might when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Perry drags you into that performance was not as good as one Josh Emmett. Now I feel bad for uh, Ricardo Lamas because you know his opponent missed weight and he found out on Twitter that he was even uh, that Aldo was out of the fight. But I don't hold this weight miss against Emmett Joe. He got the fight on three weeks' notice. That's got to be hard. It he he's not. He's probably shouldn't be a featherweight, but. And, and, you know, somebody could say, well, he shouldn't have taken the fight if he couldn't make weight. And I would agree with that, too. I would absolutely agree with that. But, I mean, he was punished accordingly for it. He's not going to be able to earn a $50,000 bonus now that otherwise maybe he would have gotten. Now that cleared the way for Nordine to Leb, probably. But Josh Emmett hit Ricardo Lamas so hard, Joe, that Daniel Cormier was counting the number of times that Lamas' head bounced off the canvas. It, it was stunning. You, you, when you see knockouts like that, there's different types of knockouts, but that a knockout like that where the body goes stiff and you just see the head bang off the canvas the way it did, I mean, that thing was just, that, that left hook landed just on the tip of the chin there. It was exactly what you thought. And you, it, when the second replay that they showed, I'm like, this could have been a double knockout, right? If there was a bit more power in, in Lamas's left hook, they could have each other out we've never had one in ufc have we i don't think no i don't think we have i one. think i think the closest was the matt hughes slam of carlos newton where he had where matt hughes has openly admitted that he was out that he was asleep and that because he was asleep he dropped carlos newton like that's probably the closest we've ever gotten yeah yeah but that left hook by by josh emmett was just something thunderous and you know i, I kind of you know, he said afterwards, like I'm, I'm looking at some of the notes in the post-fight press conference, that you know it was. He said it was hard for him to celebrate, knowing Lamas was hurt like that. I was like, dude, you were celebrating like crazy. What are you talking? <laughs> Which I mean, did you even look at yourself after that? Like, I mean, I, I, I'm surprised he celebrated like that, but I'm not because the emotions that go into he just defeated Ricardo Lamas. That's that's pretty huge. Um, but yeah, and again, I was surprised the UFC went to that replay so quick. Uh, I even had this conversation with some guys over at Titan, some of the fighters uh, talking about what Francis Ngannou did to Alistair Overeem, how I was like, don't go to that replay. Stall, stall, stall until you know the guy's awake. Mm -hmm. uh, but they went to that replay real quick, and they showed Lamas getting knocked out. But 
good on Josh Emmett. Uh, I liked how they kept talking about Uriah Faber, and Uriah Faber's probably screaming, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. But, yeah, it's interesting to see what, what they do with Josh Emmett next. Well, he'll be 33 in March by the time he probably fights next. So the, the, the thing is, like, he's not some really, really young guy. And while we talked about how being in your mid to late 30s isn't a curse in the heavierweight divisions, at featherweight, you don't see a lot of guys that age really just emerging and getting to this level. But Uriah Faber's always got some guys around, like, the next one getting ready, which is which is kind of cool. Uriah Faber's like an old school wrestling manager at this at this point. Like he's just got his league of villains just ready to throw out there. Not to say they're villains, but you get the point. By the way, guys, we do have live uh, post show or post fight press conference coverage over at Fightful MMA on Twitter and at Fightful.com as well. I'll be giving you all a little bit of information on that. Uh, Emmett says that he enjoyed Canada despite it being so cold. That he gave up thirty percent of his person was excluded from fight bonuses. But uh, he said if there's an exception UFC could make, it is Christmas. But he's open to a rematch with Lamas and thanked Lamas for taking the fight when he didn't have to, given the risk and missing weight. You think there's any chance that happens? Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe, I, I think maybe a couple years down the line. A quick update uh, for those that don't know. Prior to, the, to Sean and I going live, I informed Sean there was the potential of a little <laughs> being to my left. Um probably popping his head onto the screen to say hi to everybody. Uh, my son hasn't seen me in four days. And for those those that know me personally, my son is 100% a daddy's boy. Okay, I'll say 99% a daddy's boy, 1% a mama's boy. So he does anything and everything he can to be around me. So there was a concern. I told Sean, obviously, to be cute if he was to pop into the screen. And as Sean was talking about Emmett, I heard a noise to my left. I'm like, what is that noise? And I turn over. He is head down on his little table that I brought in from his room. I see I see the corner of his head. Snoring away. <laughs> Snoring away. So You're what, probably not far off, Joe. Oh yeah. Well no, I will uh, it's what? It's eleven o'clock Eastern right now. I'm I'm gonna try and hold off till about midnight to see bless, if I bless bless this show for being an early show. Yes, thank you, UC. My God. Yeah. Uh Rafael Dos Anjos defeated Robbie Lawler. It was pretty dominant. And it wasn't the, the knockdown drag out that we expected. It was more of a technical battle. Rafael Desanos attacking the legs of Robbie Lawler really went to the body in the middle rounds. I love that. Rafael Desanos has cemented his spot in this division. And to me, he is, I think, the next – well, we'll talk about the fight itself. What did you think of his performance? Well, it was systematic, right? It was systematic. I was expecting him not to actually stand and trade uh, with Robbie Lawler or at least lull him into thinking we're going to get into a brawl here. Uh, but at the same time, get that fight down on the ground, take Robbie out of his element. But the the, the production uh, or, the, or the repercussions from those leg kicks did what they had to do. Uh, and that, that, that striking explosion in the second round, Daniel Cormier is just like – it's not that he's a champion, and it's not that he's a great analyst. It's not that he's a he's a mixed martial artist who trains. The human body, the the maximum, the, the VO two max that the human body can do in certain outputs uh, isn't very high when it comes to seconds. So uh, there's a thing that I do called tabatas, and it's something that a Japanese doctor just um, um, created a long time ago. It's called tabatas. It's just twenty second, uh, eighty to ninety percent full power output. 
10 second rest, 20 seconds full power, 10 second rest. So, and what they did is that's st- a study that, that sort of shocks the immune system, shocks the, uh, the body. And it's a great way to lose weight while at the same time really building your cardio. It was actually Jonathan Chamberg, uh, who introduced me to it when he was working with the likes of Brennan, um, uh, what with George St. Pierre, Rashad Evans he used to make Rashad Evans do it all the time. So when I saw, Rafael Dos Anjos going with that type of output where it wasn't just a, a six, seven, eight punch combination. It was a 23 second full blown nonstop punching combination. I said, it's impossible. It's impossible. He's not going to be able to recover in time. He's got to take at minimum 10 seconds to 20 seconds away from Robbie and defend himself just to catch his gas, just to catch the oxygen back into his system. So, very impressed with Rafael Dos Anjos to be able to continue the way he did, but it was a systematic performance. In a way where it was like he hurt Robbie Lawler and there was only so much Robbie Lawler can do. You take away the power from someone's legs. And um, it was something, actually, I, I nearly name-dropped you yesterday in, in one of the fights, Sean, because you and I talk about the importance of sitting down on your punches. And there was a fight last night where the two fighters weren't sitting on their punches. And I'm like, the reason why this is going to go three rounds is there's not enough power being generated. And I'm telling you, Dos Anjos, oh, when, when Lawler wasn't able to sit on his punches, that power was gone. Power and, so often comes from your legs and your ass. Yeah, and he wasn't able to, to sit on it because of the pain in his leg. And RDA's power was coming out of nowhere. And my goodness, I, I, I'm i going to throw you know RDA's hat, name in the hat for probably the most technical and beautiful jumping knees or switch knees in the air. Mm-hmm. He's, he throws them absolutely in just gorgeous fashion, man. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I love the performance. <laughs> he could very well become a two-division champion, which is – Kind of impressive, but now we've got this situation at welterweight. We have a couple guys, oh, not a couple, Kamaru Usman, who nobody wants to fight, but he's booked. Who aren't booked right now, Darren Teal's not booked, Colby Covington's not booked, Ponza Nibio and Dos Anjos are coming off this show. Those four guys, in my opinion, you got to match them up together. I mean, you've got Thompson out there, but I would, like... I don't know, man. I don't know about Thompson. Like, like I said, it's just I, – I think he's just out of chances right now until – Unless RDA becomes a champ. Unless somebody else becomes the champion, yes. Now, here's the situation we're in. There's a lot of there, – I don't want to say a lot of people. There is some talk of maybe an interim championship, and usually I would hate that. Yep. And I'm not saying that I wouldn't hate it. But what's more ridiculous, Joe, the idea of an interim title in this division or the fact that Tyron Woodley announced that he was going to need surgery a week after his last fight and almost five months later, he still hasn't had it? B. 100% B. Yeah. Absolutely B. It's, it's, if you know you needed surgery, you got to take that surgery because you're the champion. You, you can't hold the division. Look at what George St. Pierre did. He knows he's in trouble health-wise. Here's your title back. Take yeah, it back. I, I respected that. I respect both of the times that GSP gave up his title. Right. He did not want to hold things up. Now, I can also respect the fact that between July 30th, 2016 and July 29th, 2017, Tyron Woodley competed in four UFC championship fights. Yes. I can respect that. And that's something that he brought up the week after. He said, you better not talk no interim title stuff because I won and defended this title uh, I defended it three times. Okay, well, I'm buying it. I get, I get what you mean. Go have have the surgery, buddy. Take a couple weeks off. Let the swelling go down. Get it done. 
But when you're talking five months later and you're talking probably a labrum surgery that will put you out until, I don't know, maybe International Fight Week, had the UFC known this months ago that he wasn't going to have surgery, then this fight tonight probably is an interim title fight. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's frustrating um, when you hear this kind of stuff here because, you know, first first things first, for me, I just hope that, you know, Tehran is okay and the surgery goes well and we get to see him back. And hopefully when he does come back, he comes back uh, the pre-safe fighter. He like told him. Fightful that he was planning on having surgery this Tuesday. That was the date he gave us. Yeah, so. But well, that remains to be seen if that happens. And I had somebody say that he's ducking Colby Covington, and I'm like, I promise you guys, nobody's ducking Colby Covington. Nobody is ducking Colby Covington. Not that he's not a good fighter. I'm just saying nobody's ducking him. It's just not the situation. He is a highly ranked fighter in the division who has some holes in his game that everybody could benefit from fighting. Like, nobody's ducking him. I can see why some people are ducking Kamaru Usman. He's a little lower ranked, and he's a dangerous fight. There are people, like, that are ranked above him that might not necessarily think that they benefit from that. Colby Covington, not only can people benefit from that, they'll throw a goddamn parade for whoever beats him. And that's what I told Kamaru. I said, there's so many people that want to see you fight him and so many people that want to fight Colby uh, just for the very fact because they are loving to hate this guy. And I, I said, Kamaru, good for him, though. you got to give him props. And he kind of rolled his eyes and goes, I just want to fight him. And I said, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> I don't agree with the sexual slurs and the, the stuff like that, but he, he got his name out there, and he was very, very smart about that. So it, that that's my qualm with Tyron Woodley is that, and he did he was willing to fight Nate Diaz and yeah I get it he probably doesn't need a shoulder joint to press a, a Diaz up against the cage and take him down he probably doesn't, but at the same time if Nate Diaz started to pepper Tyron Woodley with one shoulder that was going to be pretty bad whichever Diaz it was hell even people that train with the Diazes that's going to be bad because they're relentless. Still, like, I, I sympathize with and understand his notion, but I'm like, okay, the UFC owes you two fights a year, and that's you, you fulfilled those in 2017, but we are approaching, uh, let's see, five full months since that title's been defended, and you haven't had surgery yet. If you don't have a fight announced early next year, at what point do, does the UFC step up and say, all right, interim title, because they have a lot of guys that could fill that spot. Speaking of champions, Conor McGregor claims that he wants to uh, compete in MMA next, a real fight. And by a real fight, he he not only was refer like taking a shot at boxing, but WWE, he said, quote, fuck WWE, end quote. <laughs> Which is the right thing for him to say, because that's in line. Like, he he shouldn't have came out last year and said, all those WWE guys are pussies, and then a year later say, yeah, I might go do something with them. No, 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 that's not the way you go. He'll he'll eventually do it, I think, but he's got to keep up that, and I think that's smart. Uh, do you think that he fights MMA next? Do you think he fights again? Oh, Sean Rossap with the question of questions. Uh, I, I don't know, Sean. I really don't know. I, I, I can't put my finger on what this guy is going to do um, because long before the Mayweather fight, I made it clear. 
I said, after he fights Mayweather, I will not be surprised if he never fights again. And the standard mentally, whether he believes it up front on the frontal cortex and or subliminally, his pay grade, his pay standards are so high right now that he'd be taking a massive pay cut to be competing for the UFC. So the guy's got all kinds of money. And now we don't always have to believe what we see on social media, but I tend to, to believe that Connor is either a putting on a facade or specifically bragging about, you know, the amount of money. We know how much money he made. I mean, second biggest pay-per-view ever in North America, right behind Pacquiao and, and Mayweather. So he's made killer, killer money. So Here's the thing, though, Joe. How much money has Oscar De La Hoya made in his lifetime? How much money has Floyd Mayweather made in his lifetime? They're still talking about fighting. Still. McGregor got one of those paydays. And you can say, like, he came up on social welfare, all that stuff. He's spending that money. He is spending that money. And if he knows he can make more of it, I'm sure he will. The, the thing is, though, and this is the hang-up, Joe, when Oscar De La Hoya and Floyd Mayweather talk about coming out of retirement and fighting again, the m- amount they're going to make is much more than what the UFC is willing to offer. The UFC has to budge on a Conor McGregor, and I think they would in a heartbeat if he stepped up and said, let's fight, because they – Conor McGregor, like a lot of people think that maybe, oh, this was the UFC doing Conor McGregor a big favor, letting him fight in boxing. If Dana White is to be believed, and this is truly the UFC's best financial year, it was a hell of a favor on the behalf of Conor McGregor to do that, right? Because there weren't a lot of big pay-per-view juggernauts. I mean, the GSP Bisping fight did great. Uh, I'm sure UFC, whatever the hell Jones versus Cormier was, did great. Other than that, you didn't have a lot of giant pay-per-views this year yeah i i mean i i, I just want to see connor fight man i'd like to see him come back i would like to see what his striking looks like um after having gone 10 rounds with floyd mayweather see what it looks like in the octagon and and can you just imagine he comes in there we've already respected his striking in mma and the power he generates and how he kind of embarrassed people as they would move forward right into a strike it, it, in my opinion sean it got better it got completely better having having to compete against 10 rounds with Floyd Mayweather. So, you know, it's, I, I understand the paycheck will not be as grand, but it's a big well, paycheck, man. Here's the conundrum, too. Like, And, you know, it's the thing you'll always hear boxing people say, oh, MMA fighters can't strike, all that stuff. I'm like, okay, let me know the next time you got to worry about Michael Page hitting a 720 tornado kick to your fucking dome while you're boxing, and then we'll talk about how bad MMA striking is because there are a lot more things to to worry about. That's That goes without saying. I wonder if Conor McGregor's striking for MMA improved or maybe took a hit because of this boxing training because you just never know. Absolutely fair assessment. Fair assessment. Yeah. It's because it, everything comes at different angles and things that would never work in boxing do work in MMA and things that work in – uh, that wouldn't ever work in MMA do work in boxing. Like, you're not going to – Justin Gaethje, his style, a lot of boxers employ that style. But when Eddie Alvarez saw that style, he was like, cool, man, I'm going to tee off on you. Yeah. If you're going to stand there and shell up right in front of me, I'm going to go to your body and I'm going to go there often, and I'm going to hit you with an uppercut too. 
Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of weeks ago when I did the uh, the fight to end cancer event uh, at the Gentlemen's Expo, you know, five bouts, all Olympic uh, hopefuls from Canada, solid, solid boxing technique. But when I'm sitting there ringside, Sean, my brain has been conditioned for 20 years um, to see leg kicks, to see takedowns, to look at a human being and be like, if you stand like that in front of another mixed martial artist or even me, I know what I'm going to do. So I'm watching these guys, and I'm, I'm I'm trying to keep telling myself, it's boxing, Joe, it's boxing, Joe, it's boxing, Joe, it's boxing, it's boxing, it's boxing. But my brain kept seeing, oh, my God, the leg kick. I could do a switch leg kick on this kid right now and, and put his, his knee into the second row. Uh, or if he comes at me like that, I'd take him right down. And it's like, no, it's a completely different skill set. And that's why when you said, oh, boxing, you know, you know, people from boxing are like mixed martial artists, can't box, they can't strike. It's a damn different set of stance yeah. and footwork, kids. Come on. It's worth noting a couple of Chase Sherman-related items. He has a pole up, and Marquez is beating Woodley in the beard off 51% to 49. <laughs> Raised within over 1,000 votes. Also, he tweeted, if Perry Pons doesn't end in a KO, I'll let Francis Ngannou punch me square in the face with my arms tied behind my back. Oh, Chase. And his tweets that followed it up were great, and, and the, the most recent one was, uh, you see, the way my life insurance is set up, uh, <laughs> yeah. Sherman is a great follow. He is, yeah. he is fantastic. A uh, couple of notes on the post-fight press conference. Lawler says it was a great atmosphere, uh, just said he was going to go home tomorrow, and that's as far as he's thinking ahead. So not, not a lot from him there. But yeah, uh, we got Fightful.com. Tons of exclusives over there. We've got we're talking to a lot of people from UFC 219. Holy Smokes MMA podcast, 3 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, guys. Of course, check out that Ring of Honor post show that I did last night. WWE Clash of Champions. Let people know about Fightful.com. We're still very much a growing site. So any support you all could give us is appreciated, whether it's retweeting stories or posting our stories on Facebook, Reddit, the like. All that stuff uh, greatly helps us. It helps us uh, be able to chase down more stories. It, it's just a, it's just a, a nice uh, way to support Fightful.com without having to reach into your wallet. But uh, Joe, anything else you got before we go? Uh, all I've got is a decaf, thankfully. But other than that, I'm uh, I'm gonna crash, my friend. I'm gonna crash. <laughs> Uh, get this guy, lift this uh, 55-pound human being uh, into his bed, and then uh, I'm going to probably join him and just sleep and catch up on the from the one-and-a-half to two-hour sleep that I got last night, and uh, that's it. It's, it was a fun uh, past 24 hours, and then uh, obviously Tuesday, uh, if that Frank Trigg guy, if you hear from that Frank Trigg mm-hmm. guy, that absolute clown, come to get back to me because he needs to be on the podcast on Tuesday to discuss our commentary uh, our, our, we're the dynamic duo for Ryzen, the English broadcast. Yeah, I gotta hang course. out for six days in in Japan. I'm not looking forward to it. I'm not. I, I don't want to hang out with Frank, to be honest with you. But I got no choice now. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about Ryzen this week because there's no UFC event next weekend. Uh, we get UFC 219. I'm sure some news will emerge from this show. We have post fight coverage over at Fightful.com, so keep it locked there. We'll have videos, all that stuff. Uh, we have started to embed the videos into our live coverage as well. 
Join us on these live coverage pages. We come there, we talk. It was a great time on the ROH show last night. I know our UFC section still, our UFC live coverage still growing there. But hey, that's why we encourage you all to come in or come over and uh, check it out. We got that for Clash of Champions as well. Follow me at Sean Rossap. Follow Joe at Showdown Joe. Follow us at Fightful Online, especially over on Instagram. We got that up and going. Until next time, guys, we're out. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.